Are you familiar with the uh, word association game? You know, I say a word, you respond. Like if I say hot, what do you say? Of course. If I say Michigan, yep. that happened last hour too. I like that. Michigan State. There's no response. <laughs> no, we're not picking sides here now. Okay, how about VBS? Yeah, woohoo, great. How about handsome? Wait a minute, I heard somebody say Allen. Who said Allen in here? Okay, we're in the seventh week of looking at the book of Mark, and when I read that seventh chapter, uh, I did that same game, and I said, Mark chapter 7, the word that comes to my mind after studying it is unclean. The whole thing's about unclean. It's a little bit different take on our man of action, because in this case, though later in the chapter Jesus does perform some miracles, the focus, the primary focus of the chapter is Jesus is going to take us somewhere that we don't necessarily like to go, and he's going to do it with some subtlety and then some outright statements. And he's talking not only to the Pharisees, the scribes, the disciples, but he's talking to you and to me. Bottom line is there is a way he wants us to act. There is an action that he has for us that matches his action. So stick with me as we move through this. It's a, a very interesting but kind of deep into the waters we're going to travel so that we can understand what Christ is teaching. It starts off in Mark chapter 7, just the very first few verses of it, where Jesus is confronted by some, some Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. They saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Let's talk about the Pharisees for a minute. Where'd they come from? Can we send them back? <laughs> they came out of the Babylonian captivity because there, there were people who had available to them some of the scrolls of the Word of God, and they were copying these scrolls. And so a scribe would copy it, and then he would give his interpretation of it to one of the rabbis. So the rabbi would take that interpretation, and then he would give his own interpretation to it, and give it to another rabbi. On it went until it became what they called the tradition of the elders. Had nothing to do with scripture. Just rules and regulations that these particular people decided would make for a better way to live outwardly. Had nothing to do with where you were in your relationship with God. It was an attempt to reach a location, a, a place of holiness with God through outward actions only. And that was the problem that they were going to run into. It's a problem that the church still has today. 
the church with a capital C. It is the church that once in a while gets it right, and that's what we're trying to do here, but there are churches that go off on either end of the spectrum. There's the church that would say this, because I had a young man, a friend who went to this church in another state. He became a follower of Jesus Christ. He accepted Christ. He was baptized. And then he was told, you can go do anything you want to do now. It's covered. And so he lived a riotous life, a sinful life, thinking, it's all covered. It's not a problem. Because you can do whatever you want to do. The blood has covered you. The Apostle Paul tells us we can't get the righteousness from Christ and put it on and then turn around and use it as a cloak of maliciousness. We can't go out and do these things that are evil when we're saying we're followers of Christ. So that's one end of the spectrum that's so wrong. The other end is legalism. That's where the Pharisees found themselves. I spoke with a man this week. He grew up in a home where his father was a believer, his mother was a believer. He became a believer later in life, but he said, here's what happened to my dad. When he was 16, he accepted Christ in church. He was so excited. He said the next Saturday he went to the movies to see the final episode of a movie that he had been wanting to see, a serial that they used to run back in the 40s and the 50s. He said the next week the church excommunicated him because he went to a movie. So you can all leave now, right? And I'll follow you out. (laughs) I said, wow, did he ever go back to church? He said, when he was 68 years old, he went back into church. He missed from age 16 to 68 the body of Christ and all that that means. Because the church chose to elevate something beyond the scriptures. And that's what we're faced with today, is how do we understand what it is you and I are supposed to do? How are we supposed to act as followers of Jesus Christ? Well, here's Jesus' response to what they had to say, just these few verses. He replied to them when they questioned him, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Now, first of all, I think there's humor in that statement. Who told Isaiah what he said? Jesus. Jesus wrote the scriptures. He wrote the Old Testament. He spoke into Isaiah. So when Jesus says, Isaiah was right, he's probably smiling when he says that. He was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, and this is what Isaiah said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Now when Jesus is speaking there, we would assume that conversation is solely for the Pharisees and the scribes, but actually... The language shows us throughout this chapter of Mark that 11 times the term anthropoid is used. And if you know anything um, about that particular language, the anthropos, that's man. Anthropology, the study of man. 
what Jesus is saying is, I'm talking to everybody in the sound of my voice. That all of you are tempted to live on human traditions and traditions that you have developed at the expense of the Word of God. And that's a problem. So here he goes. He's starting to dive into where they are. Listen to what John MacArthur, the Bible teacher and theologian, said. This washing had nothing to do with cleaning dirty hands, but with a ceremonial rinsing. The ceremony involves someone pouring water out of a jar onto another's hands whose fingers must be pointing up. As long as the water dripped off at the wrist, the person could proceed to the next step. I don't know what happened if they couldn't. I guess they couldn't eat. Then they had water poured over both hands with the fingers pointing down. And then each hand was to be rubbed with the fist of the other. Next week, we're going to start that practice. <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? But do you know what? By the year 200 AD, Christ is ascended, risen, sitting you know, at the hand of the Father. By the year 200 AD, the Jews had developed a work called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah was a set of all of the rules that had to do with living the life of honor to God. And it was all outward and it had nothing to do with Scripture. It was not revelation. 35 pages of it had to do with how to clean your hands. Jesus knew all of this was coming. He knew where they were headed with it. You see, here's what they thought. We can achieve what God requires of us outwardly without having to change anything on the inside. That's why Jesus called them hypocrite. Hypocrites, hypo meaning under, under the mask. You're hiding behind the mask. There were two masks used in Greek drama. One was the smiley face, and one was the turned down lip face. One represented joy and, and happiness and excitement, and the other sorrow and sadness. And so you would put on whichever character you wish to put on. What Jesus is saying is, don't you think I can see behind the mask? There's nothing hidden from God. God is not moved by our outward behavior unless that behavior is driven by his Holy Spirit to a point where we are observing the law of God, we're doing what God wants us to do, then it pleases him. But it doesn't save us. It doesn't do anything to, to create us to be better than we are. It's simply obedience to God. But these weren't being obedient to God. They were hiding. So here's our first challenge. Do you wear a mask when you come in here on Sunday? That's why Allison was praying as she did about us surrendering and, and this whole thing about knowing that we know where we lost it and we're so glad that he knows where we put it and that he's putting the pieces back together again for us because he doesn't even see the mask. He sees you for who you are. He sees every weakness. He sees every sin. He sees everything, and you know what? He loves you. In spite of all of that, what a great love we have, that we are loved even though our nature is not lovable. We can't do outward things to increase God's love or even to bring it. 
what Jesus is saying here, and he'll explain it in a few minutes. It's not about what comes in. It's about what goes out. How you live out and how you live has to come from the heart. But it's a struggle. The Apostle Paul addresses the struggle in a long text, but I want to read it to you. From Romans chapter 7, many of you are familiar with this, where Paul talks about the wrestling match he has with himself in dealing with himself. And if you're anything like a real Christian, then you're wrestling with the same thing because I am. Listen to this. Romans 7, starting in 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. Now stop right there for a second. He's not excusing his behavior by going around saying, well, the devil made me do it. It wasn't my fault. I didn't do it. You know, like pointing to your sibling. He did it or she did it. What he's saying is there's a wrestling match going on inside of me because of how I was born. I was born a sinful human being. I was born with a nature that was already stained. We are not born good. If you have children or have had them. Don't you know that? You have to teach them morality. You have to teach them truth. They're not going to gain it by osmosis. They're not certainly going to gain it in our society. So Jesus says, listen, there's a struggle going on in you, and Paul recognizes the struggle. He continues. He says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Is that any of you? Ever had that happen where I really want to do this, but I choose not to? For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it. It's the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I, myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Wow, that, that's almost too confusing to understand, but let's just break it down and make it simple. I was born with a sinful nature. I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ where he said, I can pay for all of that sin because you owe a debt to the Father. And I will die on the cross for you. And I will apply what I gain to you for free. I will give you my righteousness. It's a free gift. And I will plant inside of you my Holy Spirit. 
And my spirit living inside of you will help you live this life. He will push out of your life more and more of your desire to make sinful decisions. But it's going to be a wrestling match because he's not going to do it as though I was a puppet and he was the puppet master. He's going to do it because I finally, once again, as a follower of Christ, have free will. I could choose to sin. When I sin, it's because I chose to. And when I don't sin, it's because I chose not to. And I choose not to when I confer with the Spirit of God who lives in me. And I say, I need help with this. I don't want to go in that direction. Because here's what happens. The war of the flesh with the Spirit is this. My flesh says, why don't you do this? You'll like it. And immediately I'm thinking, well, you're right. I would. That, that sounds good. I, I think I'll move in that direction. And I feel the Spirit of God going, you know, let's don't do that. <laughs> and I'm going, you know, um, I got this. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it, Lord. And when I get to where it leads me, I may enjoy it for a moment. And then the guilt overwhelms me. I feel so bad. And you know why? I should. Because I'm guilty. And then the Spirit of God says, 1 John 1, 9, If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He didn't say, go out and do it again because it's okay, you're covered. He said, you shouldn't have done that, but because you did, now if you confess that sin, if you have true remorse over that sin, if you turn away from that sin, which is repentance, then no longer will I hold you guilty for that sin, but the blood of Christ that we sang about will cleanse you. But it's a wrestling match every single day. I haven't found a day yet that I haven't had to do battle. And if you haven't, wake up because it's there. The battle is constantly there. So underlying all of these things that Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is this whole concept of sin within us. Paul brings it out in Galatians chapter 3 when he says, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You started in the spirit. Why do you now want to end in the flesh? Why do you and I give in to the flesh and then have to resort back to the spirit? I want to throw the masks away. I want to be able to go out into the world and be seen for who I really am. Someone said, do you do what you preach? And I said, it'd be far better off if I preach what I did. And you preach what you do every time you go out into the community. Because those who know you are a follower of Christ are judging you. You know why? Because... The unbelieving world's first complaint against the church is the same one Jesus said to the Pharisees. You are hypocrites. They call us hypocrites. They say that we say one thing, but then they see us doing something else. Why are we doing that? Because we've given in to the flesh. But the Spirit of the God is the one who saved you and brought you into a relationship with Christ. So if you started with Him, why in the world would you think you'd want to end with the flesh? That's not what God has planned. The Pharisees operated from a standpoint of traditionalism. They had let something rise up above the Word of God, had nothing to do with the Word of God, but they made it as important as the Word of God. Here's the difference between tradition and traditionalism. 
Traditionalism is the living faith of dead people. That's tradition, the living faith of dead people. In other words, those who've gone before us have established a tradition, and we follow it, and those traditions are consistent with Scripture. Traditionalism is the dead faith of living people. It's something they've tried to elevate, and it won't stand. So God is calling us as a church and as individuals to examine our hearts because it is a matter of the heart and then it's a matter of the hands. It does matter what you do out there. Your obedience, your behavior is important to God, but only when it's generated by the Spirit of God in your heart. And then he brings it out. There's an old theologian who said this, God permits us to test this concept so that we will learn that the flesh in the believer is no better than the flesh in the unbeliever. Think about that for a minute. Your flesh and mine is no different from the flesh of the unbeliever. The difference in us is the Spirit of God if we've accepted Christ as Lord. He says when the believer ceases from self-effort, he finds deliverance through the Spirit by occupation with the risen Christ. So he's challenging us and saying, look, I know all of us have these wrestling matches going on in our lives. First of all, acknowledge it. Acknowledge that you are tempted. Every day you're tempted. Maybe it's a tiny temptation. Maybe it would be a tiny sin. But it's still out of accord with God's desire for your heart and your life. The first one is this. If you've never come to Christ, if you've never accepted him, then you are speaking against that which can take you away from all of this pain and suffering that you've been having. You need to come to Jesus. And you who are in him, if you are continuing in a sinful life, then you are speaking against the cross. You are saying the cross is of no effect. God forgives us in either situation, whether we're just coming to know him or whether we've known him for a long time and we've moved away from him. Listen, it's, it's so important that you stay on top of it and have short accounts with God because the world is out there to do something to us and it's not good. Jesus condemns these hypocrites and he explains to them by using an illustration from their own thinking. He says, let's talk about korban, which means gift to God. And what he's saying there is, you Pharisees have told these young men that even though it's their responsibility, as Moses said, to care for their mother and father, love your mother and father, and your days should be long upon the earth. The only commandment that has a promise attached to it. He said, but you tell them that even though they're responsible for caring for their parents, if they want to take the money they've set aside to do that with and call it korban, which is a gift for God, that they can do that. Then they don't have to take care of them. And by the way, you can take that korban and spend it any way you want. Jesus said, that has nothing to do with Scripture. You've actually just taught them how to disobey the Word. So he's infuriated with this religion that they've established that has nothing to do with who he is or what his Father has said. We have to be exhibiting ourselves as believers. There's a story, funny story, about an old grouchy church leader who led a young boy's Sunday school class and he wanted them to know what a Christian was so he said one day to the class 
Boys, why do people say that I'm a Christian? And the room was silent for a couple of minutes, and then one boy says, I guess it's because they don't really know you. <laughs> are you known? You know, do they really know who you are? Well, here's the challenge that Jesus is going to bring in Mark chapter 7, continuing in 17 through 23. He's talked to the Pharisees, and now he leaves, and he and the disciples are going a different place. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. I love his response. Are you so dull? In other words, you idiots. You have been with me. You have seen what I've done. You've seen me praying to the Father. You've heard what he has said to me. I've given you everything that he's given me. I've healed the sick. I've raised the dead. I've done all sorts of things. And now I'm saying it's not what's inside it's, or outside. It's what's inside that matters. And you're saying, huh? Come on, guys. Wake up. And that's what he's saying to us today. Wake up to the seriousness of the heart. Now, in the Old Testament, it was the heart. In the New Testament, it's the mind. The work that was done to transfer or translate Hebrew into Greek of the Old Testament is called the Septuagint. And they translated it to mean the same thing. Because, you know, the heart is a muscle. It can't think. It's not the heart of, of emotion. It, it doesn't have that capability. But the mind does. But the intent was the same. So Jesus gathers these guys in there. He says, are you so dull, he asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them, for it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body? In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. You need to catch little phrases like that. Remember, Mark is writing because he was a follower of Peter. Peter is the one who had the vision on top of the roof that said, you can eat anything, and so Mark slips it in right here. He's saying, yeah, long before... Peter found out about it. Jesus had already said it, that you could eat anything. He went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. You and I have the DNA of an evil nature. We were born with it because of the choice of Adam and Eve. We are by nature with DNA of evil. Every thought you have is either captive to the word of God or it's generating evil. It all comes from there. Now, Christ gives an extensive list here, the most extensive list he gives in all of Scripture. And he gives these terms knowing that this is what comes out of our hearts. This is who we are. This is what comes from your mind. And I'm going to read the English version of it, but I want to go a little deeper than that for just a second. He says, here are the evil thoughts that come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And then he repeats, all these evils come from inside and defile a person. Now, there's an interesting side note here. You're familiar with statements such as deceit, theft, murder, lewdness, envy, and folly. But I want to tell you the Greek words, the other ones he used, he chose to bring some words together that point more toward sexual immorality than anything else. 
that that is the larger area of potential sin. He says, pornea. You know the root for that. It's pornography. Broader than adultery, it includes all illegitimate actions of sexuality. Aslagia, shameless immorality. The next one, greed regarding sexual sins. The next one, ophthalmos poneros, ophthalmos, ophthalmologist, eye. Poneros from Panera, evil, evil eye. That we have an evil eye when we look at each other lustfully. He talks about slander against God and then the stupidity of someone who has no moral judgment. Let me tell you, the first time I read through this list, I'm going, oh, oh, you know, that's me, that's me. I've tasted that before. That's, I've been there. I've done that. Maybe you're still in those areas. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read them slowly. And I want you to consider each one in your heart, silently. If it covers you, if it's you, then you just confess it. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry. This is a problem I have. This is the war I'm battling. Holy Spirit, would you please come and fight this war for me? Because nothing formed against you need prosper if you yield to the Holy Spirit. Now listen to these. Here we go again. Sexual immorality. Theft. Murder. Adultery. Greed. Malice. Deceit. Lewdness. Envy. Slander, arrogance, folly. If you're not a follower of Christ, I have good news and bad news. The bad news is every one of these apply to you. The good news is today you can be released from all of them if you will come to Christ. For the rest of us who are in him, some of these may apply to you. And if they do, it's your obligation to come to Jesus and talk to him about it, to come to one of the pastors, to come to an elder in the church, whatever it is, find that person that you can say, I have this problem, would you please help me? There's a man I know I've known for 35 years, a fellow pastor, loving to pieces. A couple of months ago, he called me. I said, how's your ministry going? I'm not in the ministry anymore. I said, why not? He said, I had moral failure. I said, you know, don't, don't give me euphemisms. What'd you do? He said, I had an affair with someone in the church. I said, after 35 years of serving, the flesh won. You started in the spirit. Why did you end in the flesh? But I love you. And God loves you. And God forgives you. It's so sad. None of us need to be subject to that, yet all of us have the potential of going the same route. But if you will yield to God, he will deliver you. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, there may be some among us today who have never yielded their life at all to you. I pray that you would open their hearts right now and hear as they say to you, Jesus, take over my life. Turn me around. Help me to be what you want me to be. I don't have much understanding of it at all, but I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You died for my sins, and you will come again for me. 
And Lord, for the rest of us, in this war that we struggle, help us prepare for it each day. Help us strive to be in your word, to hide the word in our hearts so that we will not sin against you. And thank you, Lord. You know where we lost it, and you're putting our pieces back together. So we bless you. We thank you for forgiving us for our sinful ways. And now help us go out and be a witness in this society that when they look at us, they won't see hypocrites, but they'll see Jesus in us, our hope of glory. To this end, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.